John, uh, we're joined by a good friend again, Michael Kay. Yeah, it's a guy we've been friends with for three decades, and uh, it's an interesting time to talk to Michael. I, he got some uh, big, begrudging praise from Phil Mushnick in the New York Post for uh, uh, criticizing uh, Brian Cashman, so we'll talk to him about that and uh, the Yankee direction, and I'm um, really looking forward to it. John, I wish it was three decades. I think Mike Kay and I were part of a share house in the Hamptons in 1984 and 85. We're starting to broach on four decades. We'll talk to our old friend Michael Kay about the Yankees, the Mets. John and I will break down who we think the three most interesting teams are going into the heart of the hot stove. Play hit and error at the end if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. John, we were both uh, at the uh, general manager's meetings in Scottsdale last week. Uh, the hot stove is fully engaged. Uh, so let's play a little game. Uh, you know, who's the most interesting teams? Three, two, one. Uh, you, you go first in this hot stove. Well, I mean, the New York teams are always interesting, of course, and the Mets made news. But I, I'm going to say number three, uh, the Cubs. Uh, you know, they made the biggest news signing uh Craig Council to a record deal, $8 million a year. Joe Torre money, even a little above. And uh, they showed that they're for real. They're going to play. And you think if they're going to sign a manager for $40 million, they're going to go out and get some players. Uh, obviously, Dansby Swanson was a nice start. They have a great middle infield. Uh, they've got some pieces. Steele was obviously good. But they've got a ways to go to be a real contender. And they only finished one game behind the Diamondbacks. So I think they're one of those teams that really feels like you know, we better get that win and a few more, and uh, maybe we can be in the World Series. You know, John, I'm worried. We didn't consult with each other about this, and I am started with the idea of, God, I, I can make the Yankees one and two here, but I don't want to be provincial. I want to get into this. And I picked three teams with a theme, and the Cubs, one of them. The theme essentially is all didn't make the playoffs recently, all had been bad recently, all changed their manager or GM, all are in on Otani, and all need starting pitching. I had the Cubs at number one, but I'll just double down. I'll make them number three for the heck of this. And I just I wonder if we end up with the same three teams here. Uh, yeah, no, we will not. You, we will not end up with the same three. I, I heard your clues. but Yes. So, uh, you know, once you do counsel, uh, once you've never done a contract over $200 million, uh, like at some point, you got to get some Peter Seidler in you, uh, you know, rest in peace, Peter Seidler, and 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 go for it. And I, I think they've got got to go for it a little bit. Bellinger, Stroman, gone. They, they've got a lot of work to do. They've made the playoffs. I'm looking at it. What, uh, you know, haven't made it in a full season since 2018. The council is the clue. You can't give a record contract to a manager and not not go all in. They're a team that needs to add about 50 or 60 million and get over at least that first luxury tax number. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a big market team. They certainly make a lot of money. I don't know exactly how much. We only know that the Braves may what they make 70 million or something like that. Uh, we don't know the other teams are not public entities, but Tom Ricketts, who started Ameritrade. Uh, owns the Cubs, and uh, they're obviously a very popular team, not only on the north side of Chicago, but nationally. And uh, it's time they do some serious business. And I think that's a clue that they will. Uh, I'm going to skip to my number two team now and say the Dodgers. Uh, you know, they're the favorite for Otani. So all eyes are on them. Uh, you know, are they the deserved favorite? We don't know. Uh, they are in Southern California where Otani loves it. They have been a consistent winner. You think that's what he's interested in as well. So I, I still think they're the favorite. Every big market team is going to take a look. But uh, 
he really doesn't fit their need at the moment. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly how they fit in Otani if they do sign Otani with all the pitching that they do need. I, I mean, obviously they can bring Kershaw back, but he's not going to be ready until at least late in the season. Arias, we don't know what's going on with him. He won't be back with the Dodgers. Uh, just about everybody on that staff got hurt between May. Uh, Gonsolin, Bueller didn't come back. Uh, you know, I mean, they wouldn't have been a hundred win team just about every year. So uh, congratulations to them, but uh, they've got a lot of work to do. And it's uh, right at the top of that market. Yeah, I do find them fascinating uh, because everyone expects them to get Otani. And I still think the Rangers are going to end up with Otani because they want them the most, the trade deadline. They just won. I think they got the fever. And I think Otani kind of has hinted he, he, he likes them in the past whenever he makes little hints, which he doesn't do a lot. My number two is the Red Sox. They made the playoffs once in the last five years. They finished last three times, including in back-to-back years now. They fired their head of baseball operations in Heim Bloom. Craig Breslow is in there now. You know, do they – They've got to add two or three starting pitchers. They, you know, it, do they believe in uh, Casas and Duran, who kind of had good years last year, Devers on a long-term contract? You know, the Red Sox, they can't just finish last year after year. They're a big market team. They feel a lot like the Cubs. Uh, they need to go for it. And, and you know, you mentioned Ricketts. John Henry has felt detached from this organization as if he's, you know, chasing soccer teams and NASCAR and other Formula One you know, baseball team's the hub of what you do there, Fenway Sports Group. This team needs to be a lot better and have a big offseason. Yeah, you know, the Red Sox, with all their last place finishes, they have won the World Series more than anybody uh, this century, uh, which is kind of interesting. I've heard that debate. Would you rather be the Yankee fan where, you know, you win every year, you get to the playoffs almost every year, and you've only won uh, one World Series uh, in the last, I don't know how many years it is, but 2009 was the last time they won a World Series, whereas the Red Sox have won four World Series and they're in last place a lot. Uh, you know, it's an interesting debate. And, uh, you know, Craig Breslow, who's a former player, uh, most GMs are not former players, but he does not talk like a former player or even a journalist. Uh, he talks like a Yale grad, one that we haven't heard before, though, because I understand Theo Epstein when he talks or Heim Bloom, or they've had a lot of Yale Yaleys uh, there in uh, New England to operate their team, run their team. And uh, he's already taking heat. Uh, we talk about Cashman taking heat. That's that's real heat. But uh, he's already taking heat for his vocabulary because he is. I don't know. Have you heard some of his interviews? He's a little difficult to understand. Uh, I think Billy Epler did that in, in New York also. I don't think it serves anybody well to, do, to, to read from business for dummies. Like this is baseball. I don't need to know if everything's being optimized or not. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I, I kind of understood Epler a little bit better than uh, – than Breslow. I've, ta- I've interviewed him and I came away thinking he and Doug Glanville, probably the two smartest guys uh, I've ever interviewed who are players. Uh, but I don't know. He, he seems to have stepped it up now as a, now that he's an executive and uh, to a point where I, I can't, I mean, I didn't get into Yale, but I can't even understand what he's saying. Uh, I don't know how that's going to play in Boston. That's not the main thing. The main thing is, as you said, they finished the last three, the last four years and they got to get going. Uh, my, my number one team, is the Giants. Uh, I think they're involved in everything. Uh, you know, they're going to go big for Otani. Uh, they've gone big for everybody. They had Correa, but obviously the medical situation weren't able to keep him. They tried for Harper. They tried for Stanton. Obviously, we know they tried hard for Judge. Uh, and they are going to try hard for Otani. Uh, I think it's going to be tough for them because of the ballpark. You know, he's going to want to continue to put up enormous numbers. And that's a tough park for a left-handed batter unless you're Barry Bonds with help. So uh, it's going to be difficult for them. But 
hey, they're in on Bellinger. Uh, you know, Bellinger's the most defined market. I think it's the Cubs, Yankees, or Giants. It'll be a shock if it's not anybody else. They're in on Chapman, right? You've got the Bob Melvin connection there from the A's. I think they're a real player for Chapman. Uh, and they've said publicly uh, that the most important things are up the middle and pitching. And Otani and Chapman don't don't they don't fit either of those things. So, uh, you know, they're very disappointed that they've been mediocre for two years after winning 107 games. And uh, I think they're going to be the biggest player. And it's going to be interesting to keep your eye on them. Well, I guess I could play two out of three ain't bad because I the Giants were my other team. They fit into that category after Otani needs starting pitching, changed either the manager or the GM. You mentioned uh, Bob Melvin there. They haven't been very good either. One playoff since 2016 in that out of nowhere, 107 win season a couple of years ago. And John, just to put a final point on on it, because you mentioned that you think they'll play big. They tried on a lot of guys. I went and looked. They have every reason to spend a lot of money this offseason. First of all, Fahan Zaidi is under a lot of pressure. Like if they don't get a lot better after this year, I I thought he was on the Hein Bloom track. Uh, Bloom already lost his job. Uh, Zaidi didn't, but, you know, he's trying something desperate now with Melvin taking him from from the Padres. But right now, like who's the, we, we asked this question when he was on our show at the beginning of the year. Logan Webb's the best player. Who's the second best player on the Giants? We still don't know that. He he offered maybe Michael Conforto then. By the way, you know who's the highest paid player for the Giants in 2024? Michael Conforto at 18 million. They only have $39.5 million totally owed in 2025 next year. The only guy under contract in 2026 is Logan Webb. So they have an evergreen payroll moving forward to the point they didn't get all those guys you mentioned, Stanton, Judge, Correa, et cetera. They, they, they've got to go for it here. It feels like they've got to play big on three, four, five guys. Yeah, I mean, they will go for it. Uh, not only have to go for it, they absolutely will go for it. They've done a great job in terms of the business. And guess what? They have a windfall coming to them. As we're doing this, there's an owner's meeting going on right now to – we expect to approve the A's move to Oakland. And, you know, while you may not think the A's have many fans, uh, you know, San Francisco, if this goes through and Oakland moves, they have the Bay Area all to themselves, which is the biggest market for anybody with one team. And it is an incredible windfall uh, for the San Francisco Giants. Unless the other teams say to themselves, why are they getting all the money? Let's claw back some of that money. Uh, It's a lot of, it's a lot of extra loot for the San Francisco Giants. So they were motivated anyway, uh, and they their pockets are deep. They really are. And uh, it'll be quite, a, quite an upsetting uh, winter if they don't end up with somebody big if it's not Otani. And like I said, I think I think they got a big hurdle with Otani with that ballpark. We'll see. Yeah, I agree with you. But they were motivated last year and didn't come down with Judge or Correa. Uh, We'll see what happens this year. John, neither of us included uh, the New York teams, though. I think we both think they're very interesting this offseason. I have a feeling we'll talk about them both with our guest, Michael Kay, who joins us next on the show. John, I'm not sure if we've had a guest more often than Michael Kay. Uh, It's always good to have Michael. I think it's a particularly good week to have uh, Mike on uh, with all the stuff flowing around about the Yankees, with now the ex-Yankee bench coach, uh, Carlos Mendoza, becoming Mets manager. Uh, Michael, you had me on the Michael Kay show, uh, 3 to 6.30, Monday to Friday last week, and you heard all my thoughts about the Yankees, Brian Cashman, 
uh, Hal Steinbrenner. Let's return, sir. What's what's your thoughts about where the the, the state of the Yankees right now? Well, first off, with the with the Brian comments in, in Scottsdale, I, I don't think that he was off base in a lot of the stuff he was saying. He was defending himself, which is you know it's admirable. I I, I like that. Um, some of the stuff you know strained you know credulity just a bit, um, but you know he's defending his people and he's defending his record and himself. The part that I was kind of stunned at was you know the profanity and and you've known me over forty years, Joel. I, I'm no saint. You know, when I'm off the air, I, I could have a potty mouth just like everybody else. But when I'm representing either the Yes Network or ESPN Radio, I, I'm not going to use words like that. And, you know, the Yankees are a big part. You know, they, they, they really stress the Yankee brand. And to have, you know, their vice president and general manager say poop down our legs and, you know, BS and use the F word. I just think that, was, that wasn't a good look. Um, but for the most part, I, I kind of understood what he's saying. I also understand... You know, in the last couple of days on the radio show, we've been trying to dissect why he said what he said, especially the Stanton stuff, because what he said was not untrue. In all likelihood, Stanton's going to be hurt again, and that's just the way his body is. But why say it? Why say it publicly? Why rankle the guy? Are you trying to get him to ask for a trade? Are you getting him to, to waive his no-trade clause? I'm not quite sure. Maybe they're playing 3D chess, and I'm still on the checkerboard. I'm not quite sure, but... Um, I, I think the Yankees have a lot of heavy lifting to do to get back the trust of, of their fan base who are really, really disgusted because, you know, you see on social media, and I'm sure you get emails, Yankee fans are really, really upset. Now, are they spoiled? Yes, they are spoiled. They're spoiled because the, the, the organization has been so good for so long, and they were 82-80 and 80 and in fourth place last year. Was that a blip on the radar screen? Time will tell, but over the last 250 games – they're exactly a 500 team, so you make what you will of it. Yeah, I, I don't believe you're playing checkers, but I learned something. I always learn something when you talk. I, I didn't. You're not a saint. I, I had no idea, so it's good to know that. True. I, at least I showed the good side to you. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, my issue when you said strained credulity, my my issue, and I, I agree with you that he was smart to defend his people and uh, a good team player. I get that. My issue is what what have they done? You know, they they brought in this outside entity. Uh, they made a lot of noise about having this great meeting where they really disagreed on a bunch of things. It appears they agreed that they're just going to keep the old gang together. You know, to say that the two big changes are the hitting coach Sean Casey leaving and the bench coach uh, Carlos Mendoza leaving. Uh, well, that, they didn't uh, initiate those changes. Do you see any big changes? in terms of how they're going to operate? I mean, obviously, there could be free agent signings, but shouldn't they be doing something? I don't think there's going to be any changes, especially any that's going to move the needle. Uh, I think they believe in Eric Cressy. I believe they uh, believe in in their analytical group. In fact, Michael Fishman, who's a, who's a nice enough guy, and obviously people think he's very good at his job, he's the one who found the firm that was going to, you know, obviously check out their analytics. So I, I don't know how much is going to come of that. Here's what it comes down to, John, and I think it's the only way that they change the narrative. They're going to have to make major moves. And, I've, you know, I've been reading Joel's uh, column the last couple of days, and, you know, you don't want to bury yourself by, you know, chasing your tail and making major moves. But if you go out and you trade for Juan Soto, I think that changes the narrative. I think you get the fans back on your side. If you get a center fielder, if you, if you, if you make a play for Yamamoto and you get him, I think all is forgotten, all is forgiven. But the one thing that Brian said that I, I agree the most about, and it's not a popular take at all. I know they were 82 and 80 last year, 
But if none of the injuries happen, that's a hard one to say, though, because injuries do happen, and the players that got injured have a history of being injured. But if everything stayed the way it was planned to be, I think they make the playoffs. Do they finish first out of the Orioles? Probably not. But I think they're a 90-win team, not an 82-80 and 80 team. If Judge doesn't get hurt, if Nestor Cortez doesn't get hurt, if Rizzo doesn't get hurt, those are things I think that really obviously set them back. So I think what they're trying to do is bank on the fact that at least most of them will stay healthy. And then if they make some additions, it will be a playoff team again. Whether it's a championship team, I'm not sure. Mike, I'd like to go back to I, I do want to talk about what you mentioned, if if they add big guys or not at some point while we're talking here. But I just want to go back to the first thing you talked about, which was the stand stuff and the obscenity. I dare say uh, we all deal with fans in some way, no one more than you, because you have a talk show that takes calls that there is a Venn diagram that has the people who hate Brian Cashman love George Steinbrenner, right? They wish George Steinbrenner was still owner so that he could fire Brian Cashman, right? That's a, that, that feels like a Venn diagram. There was no one more publicly obscene than George Steinbrenner, right? Like he, uh, even, even more than me, uh, use curse words. There was also no one who took on players. Mr. May, he went after Jeter for off-season stuff, spit the bit. I mean, there's a top 25 or 50 that are good that would make Giancarlo Stanton gets injured a lot, fall way by the wayside. This just feels like folks are out for pitch with pitchforks and tortures. They want to go after Cashman. I get it. By the way, Cashman said a lot of stuff to your you use your words that strained credulity that day. The the Stanton stuff was in a longer answer about Eric Cressy. Also included him saying, hey, when he's healthy, he's carried our team. He hasn't been healthy. And I just feel like there is a large posse out just to be. Can we play gotcha with Brian Cashman? There was a lot of stuff in that hour plus he talked to reporters. I was there to hang him with. Giancarlo Stanton was not one of those things. That I would agree with. Uh, I, again, I wonder why he did it, though, because he's not George Steinbrenner. He's not the owner of the team, and he's the one who made the trade for Giancarlo Stanton. So you still have four years at $98 million invested in this guy. It's going to be very hard to move. And by saying that publicly, I think he's he's pretty close to unmovable unless you eat most of his salary. I think you made it even more so by by those words. I'm sure everybody knew it. Now, I will push back on one thing, though, uh, Joel. George might have been you know, profane and talking to us, never on camera, never on a radio. Maybe we helped him as newspaper writers and we just didn't put it in the paper. But that there were cameras rolling. There were phones recording everything that he said. I think it was a bad look. And then you, well, you know, were the one who finally got a hold of Hal yesterday in an email. And Hal said he didn't appreciate that either, but he did appreciate the message. Now, the one thing that I don't get about Brian, I believe that everybody that covers the Yankees, you, John, everybody, uh, the national media as well, all the national guys, um, the people on talk shows on, on ESPN Radio and FAN, for the most part, we all back Brian. We defend Brian. Uh, I, I'm of the opinion that when Brian retires, he's going to end up in Cooperstown. He just is. He's been an outstanding general manager. He's had a couple of bad years. Who's he Who's he striking at? Who's he, who, who's he shouting at the clouds at? People on Twitter? People on talk shows, are they worth his time? I think Mark Mark Twain once said, if you argue with the irrational, they will never change their mind. You just won't. So who is exactly that message? But Mike, you and I have had this conversation literally about stuff with you, right? Where you feel uh, compelled sometimes to lash out at people with 40 followers or whatever, right? It gets under skin. I think it's beneath 
the general manager of the Yankees. I think he shouldn't do it. Uh, but it probably feels like a barrage in their place, like they're being under siege. I think they have to rise above it. I think that they deserve the criticism. They've done a bad job for a long time. And the general mainstream media has now is going after uh, Brian for the for those moves. But I I, I sense that they're they, they, they can't separate the wheat from the chaff, like where the noise is coming from. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. And, and in defense of myself, I have really had a come to Jesus moment. I say about six months ago, I don't reply on X. I don't look at the things that people say. I use X as a information gathering tool. And really, you can't win that fight. I mean, really, when you go into the uh, the pits with them, they become even more uh, ravenous. So I'd rather not do it. I, I just don't know who Brian was striking out at. I mean, a talk show host that might have a have a show that that bothers him and things that he says, it's it's not worth it. The guy makes $5 million a year. He's been the Yankee GM forever. And again, I think he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. So I don't quite know who he's boxing with. I mean, who who's to fight with? I'm not I'm not quite sure. And the, that that's that's the curious part of it. But again, a lot of the stuff that he said, although he did say one thing that he said two things that were intertwined together. You know, we don't lean heavily on analytics. If you're around the team, they lean heavily on analytics. I'm sorry. And maybe, you know, Aaron Boone has told me over and over again that he makes decisions by the gut. I like Aaron Boone. I'm going to take him at his word that he does. But a lot of those gut decisions are certainly influenced by the information that's made available to him. I mean, there are people that walk around the clubhouse with iPads. You know, they, they have direct contact with all of the players. So I'm not saying the analytics are wrong, but to say that you don't lean into it, that's something. And then to say that you have the fourth fewest analytics in the American League East, and then Eric Bolin of Newsday dug up this firm that actually rates analytics. And the Yankees have the second most of any team in baseball, one person behind the Tampa Bay Rays. So what are we to believe? Uh, Mike, so many excellent points. Uh, you know, uh, I, I agree with you uh, 100% on the uh, the analytics. Uh, maybe Brian doesn't see it because he does have a lot of old school baseball people there. But certainly if you have both there in abundance and you're listening to the analytics people more often, then you're really an analytics team. Uh, I'm also with you on Cashman. Uh, I do think he will be in the Hall of Fame and deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I, I actually think he has a very thick skin, but he's obviously hit his boiling point at this point. And, uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I think all of us uh, back him generally, while we've mentioned the m mistakes over the past few years, we've generally been backers of him. Uh, and I hope he realizes that. I'm not sure that he does. But I, I do want to ask you about the injuries. I, to me, it's not an excuse because, uh, you know, they have an older team. They have some injury-prone players. I don't know what happened with Rizzo. I know you, you – I think you went to Bronx High School of Science, so you're closer to a doctor than I am. I'm certainly not a doctor. <laughs> Can we judge that they blew it on Rizzo? I mean, it looked like he was stagger, staggering out there after the uh, collision with Tatis. Uh, he plays a couple days later. I think they just listened to him. He's a tough guy. He said, I can play. And then he played for a month and a half, and he wasn't himself, and finally he couldn't play at all. I don't, I, I don't from my distance, and I know nothing about science, less than you, it, it feels like they're making mistakes in terms of the injuries. Uh, and I don't use that as an excuse either for a $275 million team. Yeah, but, you, you know, excuse is a, is a hot-button word, John. I think it's a reason. I think it's a legitimate reason. Now, whether you want to say that the way uh, the, the Rizzo concussion was handled should not be in the New England Journal of Medicine, okay. I'll co-sign that. And I, I blame some of it on Anthony by being a tough guy and not telling them when he finally did, they sat him down. The judge thing, 
that's not him being an injury prone. That's making a heroic try to catch in Dodger Stadium. Nestor Cortez, I don't understand what happened there. Maybe he he sped up his uh, recovery. He wanted to be in the WBC. Uh, the Carlos Rodon thing. I, I'm one of the few people left. I think he could still be a useful pitcher for the Yankees. I really do. Didn't have a you know a great last start when he turned his back on Matt Blake. But again, the injuries did hurt. But there are things that um, it's not only injuries that cause the problems. Josh Donaldson, the acquisition of Josh Donaldson didn't make sense. And uh, the acquisition of Joey Gallo didn't make sense. And I will give Brian this. All the big analytic teams, that was their white whale. Everybody loved them. It was like Kevin Euclid, you know, the Greek god of walks. They looked at Gallo as the guy. And then he brings up, well, you know, the Dodgers took him. Well, he did nothing for the Dodgers. And now he's on a playoff team with the Twins. Well, I broadcasted that Twin series in the playoffs. He was not active. He was healthy, and they didn't have him on the active roster. So how good is he? And they're not bringing him back. So I, I thought that was a, a weird hill to die on because, you know, usually Rudnet Odor gives you great information on who to <laughs> The The Rudnet Odor private investigative firm obviously didn't give them good uh, uh, background. That's why I'm saying, Mike, the Stanton thing to me wasn't as big a deal, maybe because I curse a lot. The cursing wasn't a big deal, but like, for example, there was a lot there. The Gallo thing doesn't make any sense. You First of all, like that other teams want him is not an excuse. You got him and it failed. Like ultimately your judgment was wrong. By the way, those other teams didn't give up four prospects to get him. By the way, those teams hadn't locked themselves into right-handed and unathletic for years where they were desperate to add somebody like Joey Gallo. Those are all Brian Cashman's group. And uh, just to double down on what John said, if you have five analytics guys and 10 scouts, but you know, every jump ball goes to the analytics guys, you're an analytic team. If we ask Brian Cashman, who's your number one lieutenant? If every push came to shove, who would you listen to? Just one person. It would be Mike Fishman. So like the idea of what the size of the department is, like we could argue that, but they clearly are leaning one way here on jump balls. And I don't know why you deny that. If you feel that strongly about it, then you know, double down and say, we are an analytics team and we believe in our analytics and we found Clay Holmes and we found Ian Hamilton and we do find jewels in the rough, especially in the bullpen. But some of the trades that they made don't make sense. You know, really thinking, you know, two instances when, when Josh Donaldson got traded from the twins and I know you've had your arguments with Josh. I actually got along with him. Okay. But I had people call me and, and say, the twins are now celebrating twin players are celebrating that they were able to trade him. And, you know, they, I know it's become a joke. The Yankees asked Rugnet Odor about Gallo. He's going to succeed here. I had six people call me the day the trade was made. This is going to be a disaster. He cannot play in New York. He can Now, these are people that, that are in Texas that know. So you listen to Rugnet Odor when somebody like me, I, I don't have the connections that Brian and his staff have. People called me and told me this is a bad move, but they fell in love with the skill set that is so important to analytics. He's got athleticism. He's a good outfielder. He, he walks, he strikes out a lot, and he hits home runs. But he was not a fit in New York. He just wasn't. So, hey, the best GMs in the world, I think Brian is amongst those, they're going to make mistakes. Unfortunately for him, a lot of those mistakes have been bunched up in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think both of you make excellent points. It's uh, To me, it's who he's relying on for the information. You know, obviously, Odor is, is one example, and we spoke to him later the next day. We caught him, and he, he said that there were other people, but that, that is the one that he mentioned. Rugnet Odor is the guy who recommended Gallo. Uh, he had mentioned Swisher and some others and recommended uh, Boone coming back. 
Uh, and I, I'm in agreement in Boone coming back. This was not Boone's fault with all the injuries and all the all that went on. I don't think 82 and 80 is a disaster that's his of his making. So I, I don't blame him, but I think it's the people that they listen to. And maybe, you know, Mike Fishman is a nice guy. Uh, he's obviously a very bright guy. But, Mike, you brought it up earlier. Uh, so much was made about bringing in Zealous. To me, that was the most revealing thing that we heard that day was that Mike Fishman, uh, and we thought Zealous was going to review their analytics, right? That was the whole thing about it. Zealous. We, we were going to see how good their analytics were. That Mike Fishman is the guy who brought in Zealous. I mean, what does that tell you? There was not going to be any great review of their analytics, at least not a negative one. I think they're, they need to listen to more people or they're listening to the wrong people. I don't know. What do you think about it, Mike? Well, I, I, I you know, he, he talks about the boots in the ground, and I know those guys. You know, I, I know Omar Minaya. I mean, Brian, Brian Sabian, uh, Tim Naring. Those are really bright people. Again, we're not in the room. I feel like I'm quoting Hamilton. Uh, unless you're in the room, we can't make a real um, declarative statement. Well, who's he listening to? But – you know, the outside noise is that usually the coin flip is won by the analytics. So, but if that's the case, why deny that you don't lean analytics? Most teams lean analytics. The Dodgers are heavily analytic. They are. And the, the Red Sox are heavily analytic. A lot of great teams are. Tampa Bay is all analytics, all analytics. So I don't think there's anything to shy away from. And I'm not saying that they should get away from analytics. I believe in the power of that. But maybe they look at numbers that aren't as applicable now as they were when they started looking at those numbers. I know a lot of the players in that room that I spoke to said, you know, we're giving a lot of numbers, but a lot of them just don't matter. So if the players are saying that, that I listen to. Again, I don't know who has the coin flip. I don't know. I'm not in that room. And until I get in that room, I can't say anything in a declarative, definitive way. Mike, let, look, you mentioned it earlier. Let, let's spin it forward a little. You mentioned I had written a column over the weekend where I questioned if they're in position to make these big moves, Bellinger, Soto, Yamamoto, whoever. And uh, I think one of the points that might have gotten lost there, if I'm reading my email correctly, is like this is, not, you know, you could spend your money, your capital, which is money and prospects at any point. But once you do, you've done it like you're pregnant with, to use Brian Cashman's words, with Stanton and LeMayu because you made a judgment at some point. And the question I was asking is, do they have the cornerstones right now? where you should be giving up prospects and or money for Soto or for Bellinger. Like, I don't look at this roster and go, there goes a team that deserves to have more added to it. I think they're kind of not that great. I think they're Cole and Judge and pray for rain. Uh, I don't, you know, like you want to tell me Volpe's going to make a big jump? Okay. You're going to tell me Austin Wells is going to make a difference? Okay. I haven't seen it. Their prospects never play well once they get here for about 20 years if your name isn't Aaron Judge. I'm supposed to believe all of a sudden five of them are going to play great at one time. To your point that Rodon is going to become useful. Well, he's got to be more than useful. They give him 162 million that Cortez is going to get in shape. I mean, I just don't see enough there where I'm like, yeah, this is the moment to spend more money and more prospect capital to fix it. I hear what you're saying, but hear me out on this. You're right smack dab in the middle of judging Cole's prime. They're not going anywhere. You're going to give up. I mean, you've I'm got, not going to give up, saying, Mike, but I think I think doubling down on bad just makes it worse. I think that they should try to fix it as much as possible without burning more prospect capital and burning more long term money that locks them up a year from now when they could just buy Soto if they want. Yeah, but if you if, if we believe after Peter Seidler's death at the age of 63 that they have to deal Soto, 
and there aren't that many teams that are going to take on his $30 million number, the Yankees can do that. And if you could get him on for six cents on, the, uh, uh, you know, 60 cents on the dollar and trade him for, get him for Clark Schmidt, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, I think it's going to take a lot more than that. There's a lot of, there's not a lot of bats in this market and he is Juan Soto. By the way, a ter- terrible defensive player that all in New York will begin screaming. Why didn't why the Yankees put him in the outfield when he gets here? But you know he's going to hit a ton of home runs. He's a great. Yeah. I mean, his numbers compare with Ted Williams. So that and he's very very young. Uh, I'm not sure I would go after Bellinger. It would scare me. You know, the two years previous to last year, he was dreadful. The Dodgers didn't even tender him. That worries me. If you look at his numbers from last year, he didn't hit the ball very hard, which is a big analytics tool. You know, he had a very high Babbitt, which which mean that it's going to be returned to the means maybe. What I would do, I would make smart, incisive kind of deals that improve the team. I'd bring in Kevin Kiermeyer for one year. I think he would excel in New York. I think he was built for New York. Make a smart play for a pitcher. If you could get in on Yamamoto, why not? I think their pitching is better than people think. I think Michael King could be a legitimate starter. You have Garrett Cole at, at, the, at the top. Uh, I, I think they're okay. The bullpen's okay as well. They need an outfielder. I don't think that you sit back and wait for Dominguez to come back in July. I think, you you know, you could just fritter away half the season. But I'm not going to sit back and just see how my prospects do. They cannot betray the prime of Judge and Cole. It wouldn't be fair to either of them, and it wouldn't be fair to the organization or the fan base. Those guys are in the prime of their life and the prime of their career, and they've got maybe two or three great years left. I think you got to make a run at it. Yeah, I'm with you, Mike. Do, do not take a uh, step back. I, I agree. Uh, I think you should go for it. And my idea would be Bellinger because he plays center field. You know, I mean, he hit three over 300 last year. I think he was hurt. I think that was the reason that he did so poorly before that. Great defensive player. And you don't have to give anything up. So that's why I would lean toward Bellinger uh, over Soto. And it's also probably half the money, right? Soto, we know, is going to be over $400 million. My last question for you is, uh, what's up with you? You've got uh, all three of us were just ink-stained wretches. Joel and I have, re- have retained that role as ink-stained wretches. Uh, your career took off. You went into a different tax bracket in '92 or '93. Uh, you work incredibly hard, though. I don't want to, you know, just make light of it. You uh, nobody works harder than you. Are you going to keep going at this r- radio show and Yankee broadcaster uh, forever? Do you have any any thoughts on one you made? Settle down a little bit. Look at this, John. I have ink on my hand. (laughs) You took Um, a note. That will will always be me. Uh, You guys know that. And I I, I look at the world through that lens, and it bothers me that, you know, not just in sports, but all over the world, the media is the enemy, especially the print media. That bothers me. But um, I'm going to be doing the Yankees as long as they'll have me. Uh, As for the radio show, I signed a new contract. Uh, Obviously, I want to be there. It's still fun for me. Uh, I am getting older, but I'm just 62. And the fact that I have a, a nine-year-old and a 10-year-old keep you a little bit younger. But, you know, the, the flip side of that is you want to be here when they grow up. But, but the winner provides me that because the radio station has now made it easier for me. You know, I could do three of the five shows at home. So the commute is great. When they get home from school, I'm here. You know, I talk with them and help them do their homework during the commercials and stuff like that. So it's a lot, but... You know, it's a, it's a nice return, too, so I can't complain. John's given your high school and your tax bracket. Uh, I did tease at the top uh, that we'd uh, mentioned Mendoza uh, and the Mets. Uh, you know Car- Carlos. Uh, you know them very well, the man he's replacing, Buck Showalter. You know the situation where maybe they were going to get Craig Council. To close, Mike, what, what do you think about the Mets' direction here managerially? 
Well, I don't know what Carlos Mendoza is going to be, but I like him. He's an honorable man. He certainly would take on any problems in that Yankee room and wasn't afraid of, of, of confronting a player. I think there's something there. How he does in his first managerial job in Broadway, that's, that's a different story. I was texting with him today and congratulated him. He's a good man. But the one thing that I have not been able to get David Stearns on my show, and I just have one question for him. One, you took over a team that had Buck Showalter, who, if he somehow was able to manage a championship, would probably be in the Hall of Fame in terms of the best managers of all time. And you didn't see it was sufficient to sit down and see if you like him. You just had Billy Epler do your dirty work. Now, I know he called him after that, but why wouldn't you wait until you got named the president of baseball operations and talk with Buck Showalter? Your answer might have been right there. So all I could say is that either somebody that he knows didn't like Showalter. I don't think he had any interactions with Showalter in his career, and he got rid of a really great manager on hearsay. And I don't think that Steve Cohen covers himself in glory either with that. You know, you, you love Buck Showalter when you hired him. He won 101 games the previous year. This year was a complete dumpster fire. I, I get all that. But to fire the guy without even talking to him, that's not a great look for the first big move that you make. And you, you're rolling the dice. I think they did that thinking they were going to get counsel. So they got hoodwinked by that. And then they pivoted to Carlos, who I think is a good man and could end up being a great manager. But you had a great manager, and you didn't think it was cool to talk with him. That I don't get. Well, Mike, uh, this three-way relationship goes back to Buck Showalter, 35-year-old Yankee manager, and even before that. And uh, it keeps going uh, because uh, you're such a good guy, regardless of tax bracket and how much ink you have on your hands. Uh, we always appreciate you joining us on the show. Have a great holiday, guys. John, of course, we thank our friend Michael Kay for joining us on the show. Hit or error this week, John? Yeah, I don't know if it fits the hit category, but I praise anyway for uh, Peter Seidler. I uh, unfortunately passed away at age 63. That's far too young. He'd been battling cancer on and off for more than a decade. A terrific owner with the San Diego Padres who had his heart uh, with that team and did everything that he could to try to win we thought of San Diego as a small market until he got there and really overhauled things. I can recall when Chase Headley was too expensive for them, and now they're signing Manny Machado and signing Manny Machado again and Xander Bogertz and you Darvish. And, I mean, they have five superstars on the team. I mean, they, they have two and a half more superstars than the Yankees. So uh, Peter Seidler was a terrific owner and, a, by all accounts, a terrific person. I happened to meet him at the owners' meetings. Uh, up in Palm Beach last year, a very nice gentleman. And, um, you know, he'll be remembered as the guy who uh, really b brought big-time baseball to the San Diego Padres. Especially after the Chargers abandoned them, right? He built it up even more. Uh, here, here, John, for that. that. That is a terrific hit for this week. I'm going to do a hit also. Um, I was at Carlos Mendoza's uh, press conference uh, this week to be named Mets manager. And I have no idea if he's going to be good at this job or not. But I do like that somebody who earned the job in a traditional way got a job like it didn't come from the ESPN booth. It didn't come because they were like, you know, Stephen vote, you know, like was a coach, a quality control coach for one year straight from the field. You know, 
Mendoza was a minor league player, much like, say, Buck Showalter, who didn't make the major leagues, or Rob Thompson, who didn't make the major leagues. He managed pretty much every forum you could manage. Minor leagues, winter ball, Arizona Fall League, WBC. He was a roving instructor in the minor leagues. He worked closely with the front office in the last four years. He's been a big market, high-level contenders bench coach for Aaron Boone with the Yankees. This is how guys used to get jobs. Uh, they kind of checked all the boxes along the way. He's done the time. Uh, I think it's right that he's getting a chance. It's obviously in a big market, a tough market. I think all of the people who know Carlos Mendoza like Carlos Mendoza and wish him the best along the way. Because I, I just wish him the best because I like the route. I like people. I think both of us, you mentioned how hard Michael K works. I think both of us believe hard. It, believe in hard work is what should earn people spots. And I think this guy worked his butt off to get to where he is. Yeah, I mean, he's as qualified as you can be, uh, having not managed at the major league level. But that that is a tough job, and it's certainly going to test him. I mean, being the second team in New York, in the eyes of many, uh, they still have probably 40% of the fans. But it's it's difficult. I think even more difficult than, than managing the Yankees based on their star-crossed history and a star-studded roster that doesn't always perform. So good luck to him. And uh you know, may he do the best that he can. And uh, he certainly uh, paid his dues, which is something I think both of us appreciate. Yeah, uh, we'll certainly be following that. We'll be following the rest of the hot stove. If you stick with the show, a podcast from the New York Post. Thanks, as always, to our producers, Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz. Don't forget this show drops on the uh, Yes app. Uh, we'll be about Thursday uh, noon this week. Uh, Michael K., our guest who works for Yes, we'll, you'll see us all up there. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review uh, the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And John, we're just a few weeks from the uh, winter meetings. We'll be doing it all again with all the same folks we did at the GM meetings. Hopefully we'll get some news between now and then, and we'll talk about it if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman.